0: It's Thursday, January fourth. Are Jeffrey Epstein's secrets still being revealed? We start here. A judge unseals a trove of documents from an Epstein lawsuit. Some may be people who flew on Epstein's private plane. You're gonna be hearing about this all day, but which parts actually matter? We'll break it all down. Israel's being blamed for an airstrike in Lebanon, and
1: now for a terror attack in Iran. Remotely controlled bombs, according to the Iranians, that went off in this crowd. As a deadly explosion rips through a crowd, what's
0: likely and what's more far-fetched. And Republicans visit the border in the midst of a swell of migration. America is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration. Now, the politics of 2024 could be defined by it. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. When Jeffrey Epstein died in a jail cell in 2019... It meant that we might not ever get the full story behind what appears to be prolific sexual abuse.
1: I remember being in a lot of pain. I remember having some bruises. I was in an absolute panic to the point where I was able to get myself up and get out of that room.
0: He'd already been convicted of procuring a minor for prostitution back in 2008, but now he'd been arrested on federal charges that he'd trafficked dozens more. Well, his death meant that case stopped. Prosecutors calling her a
2: serial predator who helped Epstein sexually abuse underage girls.
0: And While his longtime right-hand woman, Ghislaine Maxwell, has since been convicted of aiding these assaults, the list of accusations against Epstein stretched way beyond a single case. There was lawsuit after lawsuit, with some plaintiffs alleging Epstein and Maxwell weren't even the only perpetrators here. We have a lot of work to do in this country in terms of holding people accountable and educating about things like grooming. For years For years, some of these court filings have remained under seal, protecting the identities of the victims, protecting innocent bystanders who just happen to be mentioned in depositions. But some critics pointed out this has also protected the identities of Epstein's powerful allies. Some folks have been asking, without much evidence of any wrongdoing, whose names are in these documents anyway? Well, last night... Those names started being revealed as vast sections of these document troves are unsealed. Let's start the day with the ABC senior investigative correspondent, Aaron Katursky. Aaron, I feel like this release has been hyped up for weeks, but lots of people still don't seem to be sure what documents are being unsealed. What, what is happening
3: right now? Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation that this is the long-awaited client list of, of Jeffrey Epstein, that this will finally reveal uh, what certain powerful people were, were doing, whether they were on his private Caribbean island. Uh, Brad, it's not really any of that. These documents are part of a long-settled defamation lawsuit filed by Virginia Roberts, who now goes by her married name, Virginia Jufre.
0: It's not how Jeffrey died, but it's how he lived. And we need to get to the bottom of everybody who was involved with that.
3: She lives in Australia now, but she said that back... When she was a teenager, she was a sex slave for Jeffrey Epstein and that both Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell ordered her to have sex on various occasions with powerful men, including Britain's Prince Andrew, a claim that he has denied.
2: She provided a photo
3: of the two of you together. Yes. Your arm was around her waist. Yes. You've
2: seen the photo. I've seen the photograph.
3: How do you explain that?
2: I can't. He
3: also settled a lawsuit with Virginia Dufresne. So... Some of the names are people that may have just worked for Jeffrey Epstein and may have seen something or heard something and lawyers wanted to talk to them. Some may be additional victims that lawyers at the time wanted to talk to. Some may be people who flew on Epstein's private plane, people like former President Bill Clinton, who has never been accused of any wrongdoing as part of his association with Jeffrey Epstein, but who became something of a contentious figure in Giuffre's lawsuit, because she claimed that she saw Clinton at Epstein's private Caribbean island, something that a spokesman for Clinton denied, said he didn't know anything about Epstein's crimes, and had never visited the island.
0: I see. So this is like a lawsuit where Virginia Jufre is making all these accusations. The judge keeps a bunch of the documents from the case under wraps. Until now, why now, though, Aaron? Why is this the moment where these things are going to come out?
3: These documents have been unsealed on a rolling basis over the last number of years. And, and finally, the judge just decided that there really was no longer a compelling reason to keep them fully sealed any longer. The judge is entertaining some objections from people who do not want their names publicly associated with Jeffrey Epstein. One woman, identified as Jane Doe 107, said in the country where she lives, it could get her in a lot of trouble if her name was, was out there. But beyond that, the the judge said it was just time uh, to to have all of this fully unsealed, uh, in part because of the, the the public interest in understanding more about Epstein and his monstrous behavior.
0: Okay, so so I mean, what have we seen? Like, what did you see as the as these documents started being unsealed last night?
3: Brad, about, about forty of the estimated two hundred seventy five documents have been released, and in them we see arguments made by Virginia Jufre's lawyers as to why they wanted to depose former President Clinton. We knew that they had sought to depose him, and, and the, the documents now being unredacted, we understand a bit more why. They thought that former President Clinton could provide information about what they described as his close relationship with Glenn Maxwell and with, with Jeffrey Epstein. And they also said that, you know, Jufre had mentioned President Clinton, had mentioned him being on Epstein's Island, uh, and, and they wanted to talk to him about it. Hmm. And, and who else, Aaron? Like, what other names could end up popping up out of all this? There are names that have come up. I saw a reference to actress Cameron Diaz. I saw uh, Al Gore, Tipper Gore. Uh, I saw a reference to Donald Trump. And, and Brad, none of that means anything. These were just people that lawyers wanted to ask witnesses about During deposition testimony, because maybe they had been uh, associated with Epstein or, or their names just simply came up during the course of the lawyers investigations there that we've seen so far are no allegations against any of these people doing anything wrong.
0: Well, and that's the thing, Aaron. So if this is not some big client list, right, if this is not some smoking gun about people who have been working with Epstein and whatever he's accused of doing. What, what is the significance of this? And I guess, what do you have your eye on as this case continues
3: to kind of unfurl? The public fascination about Jeffrey Epstein may best be answered by the federal government, not these documents, you know, because even though we are seeing some more details, um, the broad strokes of, of what they reveal had been largely known over the last couple of years. The, the untapped repository belongs to the federal government. When Jeffrey Epstein was arrested on the tarmac of an airport in New Jersey, uh, back in 2019 on uh, the July 4th weekend, the feds simultaneously uh, searched his mansion on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and and they they took photos, they took video, they took out a lot of stuff. A- and much of that has never been publicly revealed. There, there were some things uh, that were searched uh, from Epstein's properties that came out in Maxwell's trial. but. By and large, the public has never seen any of that evidence. And and so that may be the last place where the public could look to understand more about Epstein's crimes. All right. uh, We'll see what happens next. Aaron Kotersky, as he goes
0: through more of these documents, we'll see if more are unsealed today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. Next up on Start Here, on the heels of an alleged assassination by Israel, Iran is hit with even larger explosions. We're back in a bit. We all know there are things in life you got to compromise on. Like, when I want burritos but my wife wants salad, the compromise is we get salads. But when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who doesn't take the time to really hear your health concerns or who's in a rush to end your appointments. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated, in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises, because with ZocDoc you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc dot com slash start here. As the war rages in Gaza, there are questions reverberating throughout the region, throughout the world. What happens to Gazans? What is the future for Israel and terror groups like Hamas? And will all this crossfire ensnare other countries? Well, those questions only got louder as Iran-backed militias exchanged fire with American service members in recent months. The U.S. has unleashed retaliatory strikes. After Iranian-backed forces targeted American troops in both Iraq and Syria. Then again, as a Hamas honcho was killed in Lebanon. Salak al aruri the second in command of Hamas and a senior leader in the West Bank, among at least six people killed, according to Lebanese authorities. Then yesterday, as Iran was marking the anniversary of its own military leader being killed years ago... A pair of bombs went off, killing nearly 100 people, wounding 200 more in what's being called that country's biggest terror attack in decades. ABC's chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Raditz is in Tel Aviv in Israel right now. Martha, what happened? Because this was a really significant day over in Iran.
1: It was. It was commemorating the death of Qasem Soleimani, who was killed by an American drone four years ago to the day yesterday. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel. This was, of course, a a U.S. drone that took out Soleimani. America should have a lot of fear. What should we do? It created outrage. I happened to be there just days after that attack and walking the streets there where they were shouting death to America. What is your message to Mr. Trump? Mr. Trump, you don't have any right to
2: kill him. He was a very, very good and brave and kind uh, general.
1: The Iranians are already blaming Israel for this attack. There were two bombs, uh, remotely controlled bombs, according to the Iranians, that went off in this crowd. Israel uh, has said nothing about this, but U.S. officials say they have absolutely no information that Israel was responsible.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Martha, who would have done this? Because there are foreign governments like Israel that don't like Iran. But I mean, this seemed almost built this type of attack to kill civilians, right? Where you have one bomb go off and then like 15 minutes later, after everyone's gathered, the other one goes off.
1: And and that just does not have the mark of Israelis operating uh, within Iran. There right. have certainly been targeted killings in Iran uh, that Israel is believed to be responsible for nuclear scientists and others, but not mass casualties like that. I think uh, the suspects are ISIS and its affiliate. We forget that ISIS is still active in this area. So that's who they are pointing the blame to. But Brad, you know, you got to believe and and I've covered this region a long time. No matter what the Israelis say, no matter what the U.S. says, uh, the U.S. officials say, the Iranians are going to say it is Israel.
0: Right. Like this is the enemy. So this enemy must have done it. But. I guess if it's less likely for Israel to carry out this type of attack, it would be much more likely for Israel to do, like you said, a targeted strike, which is what we saw happen in Beirut, right? In Lebanon, Israel hasn't really confirmed or denied that attack, Martha, but U.S. officials are now saying they do think Israel was behind the killing of the Hamas leader. I guess my question to you is we've been spending all this time talking about how foreign countries are wary of a wider war. Is Israel— Worried about a wider war? Like what what is their tolerance for for hitting other countries right now and stoking animosity with their neighbors?
1: I, I, they certainly don't want a wider war, but you know, just sitting here right now, uh, you're surrounded by countries that are after Israel, that are after the U.S. We've had more than 100 attacks on U.S. forces in Syria and Iraq, one on Christmas Day that was very serious, leaving several U.S. troops uh, wounded, one in critical condition. And, and then you have the Houthis in Yemen who continue to fire on ships in the Red Sea and U.S. naval warships having to shoot down drones uh, that are flying all around the Red Sea from the Houthis. So all I right. think that's the place that I would really keep my eye on in this is Yemen.
0: All right. Martha Raditz there. She landed in Israel to report on this strike and then this whole thing in Iran happened. So covering everything there in the East right now. Thank you. You bet. Every month, the U.S. keeps track of how many migrants are encountered by Customs and Border Protection as they cross the border. Well, recently, sources revealed to ABC News that the count for December was more than 300,000 encounters, the highest ever recorded. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, these crossings are having a big effect. To the point where some Democratic cities are taking new measures to limit the number of new arrivals. And yesterday, Republican lawmakers toured the border to argue for their agenda. ABC's Matt Rivers covers immigration. He's in San Antonio, Texas right now. Matt. What is the difference between 300,000 and past months, right? Can you just put it into context how overwhelming this has become?
2: So uh, in my family, Brad, we kind of have a, a joke. My wife always says it's like a Christmas tradition or a New Year's tradition that I will be spending some time down at the border around this time of year because every year we do see, uh, or almost every year, a spike in the number of crossings around this time of year. When, when the temperatures start to go down, people want to get in before the, the new year, you do see numbers go up. Mm-hmm. What we have never seen is those kind of numbers. 300,000 plus, That that is the all-time record month for those figures. We've never seen a single month with numbers that are that high. Now that we should caution, it's preliminary data and that could change. But, you know, even if you change it by 10,000 encounters, you're still talking about an all-time record high month. And this is this new normal that you and I have talked about. We see spikes like we usually do, but the spikes we're seeing are bigger than ever because the amount of people coming north are bigger than ever. And this is going to keep happening. Just look down a little further south in the Darien Gap, that that strip of jungle between South America and Central America. You have to go through it if you're walking from South America to Central America. 520,000 plus people transited the Darien Gap during the year 2023 that is more than double wow. the previous annual record. That's where people are coming from and they're arriving to the border. So like you said, regardless of your political affiliation and all this, what is happening at the border, we've never seen before.
0: And and Republicans have said that this is such a priority that they will not fund aid for Ukraine until they see policy changes at the border, right? Like th- th- This is priority number one. I guess what I'm confused by is what policy changes would fix this situation, though. What are they saying?
2: Well, so what Republicans generally keep coming back to is that we want a couple of things. We want to change the way America's asylum laws are written to make it harder to apply for asylum in this country. We want to make it easier to deport people. And we want to make it so that more people have to wait outside the United States while they wait to see whether they're going to be let into the United States or not. Those are the three things that you always hear from Republicans. If
3: President Biden wants a supplemental spending bill focused on national security, It better begin by defending America's national security.
2: But even yesterday, you had Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, who led this delegation of House Republicans down to Eagle Pass, Texas, not far from where I am right now. He even said, look, we don't have every single policy prescription. We don't know exactly how to solve this problem because it is extremely complicated. But what Republicans are saying is that they're not willing to do just about anything, including funding Ukraine, Israel, even provide funding for the border itself until... There is some sort of deal struck that is going to change in a substantive way, according to Johnson, the policies at the border. But there's a couple of complicated things here. What House Republicans continue to signal, especially the further right members of the Republican caucus, is that they want to see really, really intense, some would even call it draconian changes to the way this country handles immigration. So even though there's a bipartisan negotiation uh, being worked on in the Senate right now, doesn't mean that what the senate comes out with is necessarily going to be agreed to by house republicans and what you've heard from some house republicans is that they're going to be willing to shut the government down if their sort of policy prescriptions for the border are not enacted
3: america is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration and today we got a first-hand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our
2: communities. So this is a very, very complicated uh, situation. But look, this is the line in the sand that Republicans are drawing. In the beginning of an election year, what's the first thing that House Republicans do in a 2024 election year? 64 of them go down to the border and say, this is where we're drawing the line in the sand. It tells you what the rest of this year is going to look like. Republicans are going to campaign on this, and I think it's going to make... The next couple weeks and months in terms of these negotiations back and forth in Washington, D.C., something that will be very fraught and something we need to pay attention to very closely.
0: That's really interesting that even these House Republicans are thinking their Republican colleagues in the Senate might not be going far enough. But well, then, if, if we're looking at that kind of political divide, you look up to cities like New York where Mayor Eric Adams appeared to say he didn't want to consider New York a sanctuary city anymore. He since kind of rolled that back. But I- Illinois suburbs are now fining bus companies for dropping people off without any plan. Where they, I mean, what what tools do these northern cities, I guess, have at their disposal? Because it seems like they are getting very frustrated by the number of people coming into their cities.
2: I mean, it's New York, it's Chicago, it's a a town like Edison, New Jersey, which is not that far from where I grew up that's now dealing with this. I mean, this is the kind of thing that as Republican governors like Texas Governor Greg Abbott continue to bus migrants away from the border to these Democratic cities, this is something that these cities have to continue to confront. And what they're seeing is that it is very, very expensive. We
3: do not have the staff, the expertise, or the money and that may not be the ideal. We may all wish it was something different, but the rea- that's
2: the reality. You're talking about housing people. You're talking about feeding people. You're talking about giving people medical care. This is an incredibly difficult thing that cities, you know, when they were planning their fiscal budgets in 22 and 23 and 24, they weren't thinking, oh, we should also add in, you know, feeding and housing 150,000 people in the case of New York, more or less. This is new territory, and we are looking um, over every authority that we have. That is the kind of reality that these cities are having to deal with and they just don't have a ton of resources readily available to deal with that kind of thing. And what you hear down along the border, and you actually hear this from Democrats as well down here, not just Republicans. But I was having a conversation with a Democratic mayor down here not that long ago who was telling me, look, it's about time that New York and Chicago uh, have to deal with these sorts of issues. We want to treat these people humanely. We don't want to treat people poorly. But we also know that this ultimately comes down to an issue of dollars and cents when you're talking about municipalities and that is very very difficult are migrants being used as political pawns by some of these republican governors yes absolutely they are but the effect that it is having it is changing the conversation i think in some of these democratic cities to talk about migration in a way that i don't think a lot of these places have had to deal with in in the past
0: Yeah, like to that point, New York City has a law that says there needs to be a shelter bed for every unhoused person on the street, that no one should go the night without a bed. Eric Adams has said he wants to roll that back specifically because of migrants who find themselves without homes for weeks and months at a time. All right, uh, Matt Rivers, they're at the border in Texas. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, what's the biggest sport of 2024 going to be? Did you say darts? Well, you might have been right on target. One last thing is next.
3: exclusive view behind the
0: table every day right after the show while the topics are still hot the ladies go
3: deeper into the moments that make the view the view the views behind the table podcast listen wherever you get your podcasts
0: and one last thing the most exciting athlete on the planet this week might be a 16 year old who eats pizza on game day it's just obviously I've got a lot of followers now Luke Littler is from Northern England. He's got the wispy beginnings of a beard. He doesn't look like he's chiseled out of marble or anything, but that's okay because he plays darts. There's just, there's no pressure. Like I've said, it's my first, my first time being here. This week in his first ever appearance at the World Darts Championship, he made his way to the final. Here's what you gotta know, darts is weirdly popular in the UK and Ireland. It's a product of pub culture, of course, but promoters have turned it into a spectacle.
1: Yes, they got...
2: Right.
0: To the point where they rent out arenas, sell beer by the leader, and get thousands of people singing songs for their favorite dart throwers. These athletes have walk-up songs, like something you'd see in pro wrestling. <laughs> I can't overstate how insane this all is. There are pyrotechnics involved. The best players can make millions a year. Which brings us to 16-year-old Luke Liddler, now known as Luke the Nuke. This!
3: Luke the Nuke with another
0: 170 for the
3: tournament!
0: This was his first world championship. It was televised on Sky Sports. And like an English Tiger Woods, he started just destroying the competition. Bullseye by bullseye. The Nuke explodes on the... As he took down former world champs, you could see him finding his swagger. At one point, he asked the crowd which target he should aim at, and eventually found his way to last night's final.
3: I say, whatever Luke Lutter turns up, he turns up.
0: And so far, it's been so far so good in this tournament. In the span of just a week, he's become a superstar. Because think about it, Darts players remind us of the pro athlete we'd like to be, right? Talented, maybe, but none of us eating salads on Christmas Eve stuff. The workday starts around noon latest, you go to the bar, and even then, all you gotta keep in shape is your forearm. In fact, Luke the Nuke described how his pregame routine is a ham and cheese omelet in the morning, and if he wins, he treats himself to a kebab. He lost last night to a fellow Englishman named Luke Humphreys, which might have been just as well. If he wanted to celebrate his win with a pint, we're well, still not old enough to legally drink it illegal drinking agent in Britain, 18 years old. By the way, poor Luke Humphreys. He won the thing. He got 500,000 pounds, and he's got the cooler nickname. He's got Cool Hand Luke, and all anyone can talk about is the 16-year-old darts phenom, but man, count me in. I'm watching these dart championships every year from now on. Hey, I'm off tomorrow because I'm doing something equally nerdy. I'm going to be in a backgammon tournament. You didn't know your boy Brad was that into board games, and Flaherty will be in for the last day of the week. I'll talk to you later.